Welcome back to another episode of the Ask Investor Podcast. In each episode, we host a Q&A with another fascinating investor here on QuidRoom, the social network where private investors collaborate with one another and with global investment experts through closed-door virtual community rooms. Each episode is recorded live in a room full of investors, and the conversation continues after the recording. So if your interest is peaked after today's episode, you're never too late to join the community at quidroom.com to get your questions in. Now kick back, relax, and enjoy today's episode. Welcome, everyone. I'm the founder of QuidRoom, the social platform where accredited investors and investment professionals globally find each other. Before we kickstart, for all the investors who are listening in to the session and to the podcast, if any of your questions are unanswered, or to attend future investor meetups, you can join hundreds of other investors in my personal community in QuidRoom. The invitation link is posted here. So today we have Deepak Shanoi, an active investor in the public markets of India for the Ask an Investor session. Hi Deepak, how are you doing? Hi Praveen, I'm good, how are you? Uh, well, it's an interesting market. I don't think that good might be might be the right way of putting it. Meh. <laughs> so, so Deepak, like we will be chat- chatting about investing in India markets, uh, about how inflation impact in the markets are going to be different this time, and why you strongly feel India will beat inflation. But look, even before we go into a topic, I always like to know and understand, and I'm sure that even the investors who are listening in would like to know exactly who we are talking to. So before we dig deeper into the current, into, into the status quo and the future of investing in India, it will be great if the listeners can get to know you and especially your journey from being a software engineer to what made you an active public market investor in India. Because I've seen software engineers turning into entrepreneurs and becoming private market investors, but this is interesting. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's an interesting journey for me It's as well. I've been an entrepreneur since 1998, uh, different companies. Uh, so just a quick, quick idea about Capital Mind. Capital Mind is uh, uh, an Indian uh, regulator, so that's SEBI, SEBI Registered uh, Portfolio Manager. So uh, we have a license to manage uh, portfolios in India and we manage about a 100 million USD, which is roughly 800 crore uh, Indian rupees uh, or 8 billion Indian rupees. We currently manage them in uh, Indian equity and debt markets. Because my journey, of course, started about uh, uh, as, a, as a software engineer. I started my first company in 98. We were, uh, we rode through the, you know, the dot-com boom and a dot-com bust. A uh, bunch of things at uh, times around then taught me a lot more about stock markets at the time. And um, uh, through this journey, I've actually, it was a tech journey throughout almost, uh, where I started off building technology products for stock market investors in 2005 and 2007. Uh, and then we set up an algorithmic trading hedge fund itself relatively early in the space in India, because algo trading was just about starting to get legalized. And there was a framework that had started and we set up, uh, you know, use technology to kind of build algorithms to automatically invest. 
uh, that progressed into Capital Mind as a company eventually that uh, started off giving uh, research and information around quantitative uh, and macroeconomic information apart from company specific. And then uh, when our customers told us this information is fine, can you manage our money? Uh, we got uh, registered with SEBI, got a license and then uh, slowly grew the business from uh, 2017 to now. So a little bit less than five years. And uh, we're a direct to customer uh, wealth tech based, uh, you know, all the terms that come in, in the, from the from the startup world, but we're largely tech, uh, we, we wrote all the tech for our management products in house, including automated trading of all of our portfolios, managing money of customers and front end interfaces. Uh, and of course, we invest in Indian equities. So all of our uh, information uh, gathering and uh, product, man I mean, the, the product manufacturing and the setup is all internal as well. So uh, that's about me in short. But, you know, I'm uh, probably 25% tech and 75% finance now. <laughs> Interesting. And that's great to that's great to hear, Deepak, that, you know, you came from a tech background and then how you eventually forayed into becoming an investor, a public market investor. So it's going to be an interesting topic that we're going to be talking about today, right? Uh, especially when Nifty is bleeding right now. <laughs> and uh, and uh, uh, now we're going to be talking about inflation so, so, and its effects on investing in India. So whole, wholesale price index inflation is at record high in India right now due to the spike in food and fuel prices, as almost everyone who understands Indian market knows this. Now, it's pretty alarming. Combined with the current interest rates, an economy that's just recovering from the pandemic, low consumption, employment crisis, and, I mean, the list goes on. Things don't look good from my viewpoint for India markets. What's happening on the ground, Deepak? Is it a recession that is on the horizon? So we've, India has really had only one recession in the last, I think, 40 years, and that was COVID-driven. Uh, so uh, we really won't have a recession even now. Just the numbers is that the inflation and the growth momentum is so strong that we're not going to see a contraction in GDP uh, in any meaningful way. So for us, a recession would be something like 3% GDP growth would look like a recession for, for India. But, um, you know, the economic situation in India is only now starting to improve. A lot of the situations uh, of, the, of the, the situations of the past, we've seen high inflation. In 2011 and 13, we saw 9% inflation. Uh, so India is used to it. So to a certain extent, we've seen uh, product prices, food prices, wages go up significantly in the past. And I can tell you on the ground that it's not quite as bad now as it used to be much earlier. Although uh, there was some sticker shock for a while when oil prices went up, but you know Indian oil prices haven't actually gone up. Indian fuel pump prices haven't gone up so much. There was a there was they did go up for a while, and then the government reduced some taxes, which they had introduced when crude prices had fallen during COVID. So uh, in a way that insulated us from a severe uh, price rise. The other thing is, of course, India is importing from Russia. So in a certain extent, the fuel inflation is uh, not as much as one would have one would have seen in the West. Having said that, you're still seeing some level of food inflation. The wholesale price index particularly is a little weird. It's not very reliable. So India stopped relying on it for a long, uh, long time back. Uh, the data collection standards are not exactly the most uh, useful and it doesn't consider uh, roughly 50% of the Indian economy is services. 
so wholesale price index largely manufactures uh, largely works with manufactured goods so uh, the service product uh, inflation which is you know banking services haircuts uh, rents and so on doesn't figure in wholesale price inflation so the retail price inflation which is consumer price index that's up only 7% um it was 7.8% uh, in april but it's come down to 7% the rbi has actually acted much much more strongly on our uh, on our system we have contracted our balance sheet uh, from a few months even before the fed even started thinking about it that the fed in the us has not even contracted its balance sheet a little bit but we have started contracting our balance sheet we've had two back to back fairly large interest rate hikes and a hike in our cash reserve ratios as well all of this has added up to a point where you know inflation has started to move down now the biggest points about inflation that's happening in the west is wages are wages haven't gone up in any meaningful way other than in technology but then there's a bust coming so who knows where that goes but uh, other way uh, other parts of it for instance food and fuel which are really more than 50% of our uh, consumer price indexes uh, india man india makes a lot of the food that it eats so it's not so much dependent on uh, uh, food from abroad and, and exports are restricted so even if prices of food go up worldwide uh, india doesn't see that much of an impact uh fuel prices as i said because we're importing from russia we get a substantially cheaper price our pump prices haven't gone up also because the government has reduced taxes so inflationary as an environment is not as bad in india as there is in the west for two reasons one is of the reasons that i told you second one is we're used to it we've seen inflation in the past and so if things go up 5% or 7% we don't think of it as an extraordinary thing uh and people actually expect prices wages rents to go up at least 5 to 6% a year absolutely so now you mentioned quite a bit of points in there now uh, of course this is going to be more of an investment and take on 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 this question not a political take i'm just going to uh, put that disclaimer beforehand so before i ask this question so uh, there is definitely a lot of pressure being put over uh, the ties of getting oil from russia and in the scenario uh, that if there is going to be let's say a ban isn't that going to have a direct impact on pushing india to recession i think it will push the world into recession I mean, europe is dead if uh, russian oil is banned uh, and it's going to be dead even if uh, this happens in december this year i think uh, if that's the case if the world wants to has to you know go to a recession in order to uh, do make these political kind of statements then you know we're going i mean india is not immune to that but i think uh, nobody is going to ban russian oil simply because uh, the west wants it far more than uh, india does india is just being opportunistic about it but that's fine because everybody has to every country has to take care of its own security economically it's actually very good for us because we get oil cheaper and uh, you know it's uh, it's useful for our economy to not suffer the vagaries of inflation as much as you know it is important to deal with the politics of the whole situation so i think from an economic standpoint i don't think this is a possible thing but if it does happen yes we're going to get uh, uh, i think the whole world will go down so we'll go down with it so <laughs> yeah interesting point uh, now see um, look i personally think there has been this one good report that came out recently about about the markets in india that makes me feel that it's a great time to invest into india that is um, because because the fact is that a market correction is never a bad thing is it's it's always a great opportunity to invest that's how almost every single sophisticated investor thinks about it right and according to bloomberg 
this seems to be a record year for inflows for, from India's domestic institution investors, which I think is a good sign. Investment crossing two trillion INR uh, mark uh, by this time is the highest ever for a single year in in terms of the amount of money that has gone into the equity markets. I, I personally think the, the the main driver for this is because they expect that right now is a is a time when market correction is going to happen. So there is a lot of a lot of uh, uptick that can be expected. Do do you see this trend to continue from DIIs, and do you feel that uh, that the broader market of investors, even foreign investors, will be uh, are, are now trying to take advantage of it? The good question. You know, India's uh, stock ownership patterns are very weird. If you look at the management, the people who control companies, we call them promoters, but the you know the people who run or manage companies or control them. They own uh, more than 50% stake in the overall market cap added up. So the remaining, which is the free float of uh, the Indian, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, listed market, roughly half of the free float is owned by foreign institutions. And the remaining is split between Indian uh, mutual funds, which own about eight or nine percent, some banks and uh, insurance companies. Uh, about nine to ten percent is owned by individual retail investors. So individual retail investors own a fairly large chunk of uh, direct sh- stock ownership, and the remaining is a bunch of you know proprietary shops and a bunch of uh, regulatory uh, ownership of a bunch of uh, in 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 that. So that adds up to the rest. Uh, in that context, it's quite surprising that a domestic investor set, which probably owns only 10% of overall uh, ownership of Indian companies, uh, is able to kind of keep its uh, uh, head above water in a time when uh, you might have expected a lot of outflows. But Indian retail investors are going more and more into domestic institutions. The pension funds in India, which have been terribly underinvested in Indian equities, have started to increase their positioning into Indian equities. Imagine something that's for 40 years only invested in Indian debt, uh, starting to put about 5 or 10% of their overall fresh inflows into Indian equities. That's the one that's kind of created this whole motion going forward. And I think that will continue just because, uh, you know, equities over the long term have done uh, relatively well in India, uh, as it has in the US and much of the West, except for Japan, I suppose. But most Places like India, where you have inflation uh, that's reasonably high, for five six percent would be considered reasonable inflation for India, and uh, you're getting five or six percent GDP growth. So nominal growth of ten to eleven percent uh, has been a standard for the last ten or fifteen years, but uh, you're, you're still getting fairly uh, uh, large numbers uh, uh, going uh, in in terms of growth. So a lot more domestic institutional capital is starting to move there. And our domestic institutions are very raw, uh, very small. So now you have more institutions being built. Uh, more insurers, more uh, mutual funds uh, that have started to come in and also more uh, pension organizations. So I think this will continue for the near term. Uh, how much it manages to save markets, I don't know. Uh, it, in general, when markets are falling, there's a fire sale going on. It It's just liquidation. So it's not going to protect markets too much. But I think it's a good idea for uh, people to invest, I mean, for institutions to expand their exposure to Indian markets uh, now, especially, and perhaps the next 10 or 20% down as well. 
Yeah, and and that that actually makes me curious, Deepak. So, how does Deepak's portfolio look like? <laughs> I well, all my money, most of my money is in the in the PMS, which is the portfolio management service we run. So, we yeah. have a quantitative managed portfolio where uh, uh, it's called Momentum, where we actually we have an algorithm that runs and discovers the stocks, and we actually uh, it's very low frequency. It probably rebalances once a week or once in two weeks. But that portfolio is sitting about 50% in cash, just simply because the portfolio told us. It was at 80 or 90% in cash in COVID. So we respect that quite a bit. Uh, uh, it got in, it got to 50, 90% cash even before COVID hit us. Uh, and it was purely algorithmic. So we kind of respect that. There's also our, um, uh, the managed portfolios, which we run, which are specific to uh, uh, an Indian index uh, exposure, where we cont- I continue to just maintain 100% equity over there. Uh, so I have different portfolios. So my overall position is about 80, 80% now equities and 20% Indian debt which uh, overall has been okay uh, so far. So I I uh, largely invested in Indian equity only. I don't have any private market investments um, for whatever reason it is. I, I don't invest privately right now. Uh, I don't have any crypto investments and, uh, um, you know, I don't own any gold. Um, other than That's very different for, for an Indian not to own gold. <laughs> I don't even own real estate. So it's quite interesting oh. that. Yeah, yeah, that is completely against the grain. Uh, <laughs> now let's just look into so eighty percent equity, twenty percent debt. Now I, I just want to understand this. So when it comes to eighty percent equity, and when you look into that, um, do you usually go for the large caps, or, or, um, um, or do you have preference for the for the small cap players as well in India market? We've, we've done small, large, mid, all of them. Right now, the portfolio seems to be more concentrated towards the large caps, just because I think um, uh, whatever volumes are there have moved towards the large caps. Mm-hmm. We have some small and mid caps as well. And now one of the reasons for that is some of the mid caps are actually quite attractive, even in these times. And uh, uh, some of them have actually demonstrated superior price and uh, port, port, you know uh, fundamental performance uh, in the last few years. Having said that, a lot of this will change. When markets change, everything changes underneath you. So when things start changing performance and you're seeing better opportunities out there, your portfolio will automatically evolve. So I think most of, our, most of my portfolios will change. And I, I since I'm a fund manager myself, I get to be able to change my portfolios. So over time, I'm seeing more of a move towards uh, uh, large caps for the next few months. And perhaps later, once the this entire uh, season, winter, whatever you may call it, is over, uh, that's when I think the mid caps and small caps will shine. So uh, we do have a bunch of them, but I know that liquidity, when liquidity goes out of small caps, you're going to find it difficult to get out or you know, do anything meaningful with them. So, got to focus on uh, keeping uh, keeping it sane. Interesting. Uh, see, uh, Deepak, that actually helps quite a bit to give a overview of exactly how you are approaching investing right now and uh, the whole industry as well. Thanks for your views around uh, around inflation as well. Now, uh, to summarize, what are the top two tips you would have for investors? especially for uh, for a lot of foreign investors who may be looking into India as a part of their portfolio to invest into India public markets, equity and, and, and fixed income combined? 
Cool. Yeah. I mean, it's it's interesting because I think a because India is more likely to deal with inflation a lot better than the West. We have the ability and uh, process, and we haven't actually done anything that the West has uh, in comparison. For instance, the US gave three thousand two hundred dollars for free and all that stuff uh, to all of uh, our US citizens. India did nothing of that sort, so we didn't create local domestic. Uh, uh, money mark money oriented inflation so uh, our ability to get out both from a macroeconomic perspective and from an experience perspective uh, seems to be in a better shape right now and the elements that are causing inflation which is food fuel and wages are not actually impacting india in any magnificent way so far um, mm-hmm. the rupee is also stable uh, at 78 dollar the dollar us dollar reserves have been fairly strong so one of the things that I do think is if you have allocations to different countries, uh, India happens to be one of those few pockets where I think uh, the growth will be uh, a little bit more than normal when the growth actually comes back into the world, uh, simply because the access, let us say we're talking about brick, there is uh, very little of the R good that's going to be left in it. And just that and the fact that China is probably going to get a little more um, uh, difficult to invest in uh, might leave a lot more room for India to grow in terms of as a as a, as a uh, corresponding product in the Indian economy. And given where we are, uh, you know, India is going to be, a, it's a two trillion, two and a half trillion dollar economy. It's probably going to become a five trillion dollar economy by the end of this decade. And one of the reasons that will drive it is domestic consumption. It doesn't really need to be an exporting powerhouse. We have a large amount of domestic consumption. And while, you know, much of what has happened is a setback, uh, I think, uh, you know, once we cross the $2,000 per capita uh, uh, point, things start to move up. So I think India from a macroeconomic standpoint sounds interesting. What's interest, What's perhaps more interesting in India than other places is India's corporate balance sheets have been battered all the way from 2011 to 2017. And they have actually gone on a reconstructive process. So if you look at debt equity ratios, you look at, uh, you know, general balance sheets of both uh, some of the larger banks and of the large corporates, you find a lot less, uh, uh, you know, to fear about now compared to earlier. So uh, the ability, and India has not had a CapEx cycle for, I think, now 10 years or eight years now. So if there is a fresh cycle that has to happen, the corporates are in much better shape to be able to lever their balance sheets when the time comes to build in more CapEx and to take on much more of the manufacturing landscape than it currently has. Uh, because, you know, China has been a very dominant force on that. So uh, to build in more in India, uh, that might serve the world and also for our domestic consumption. Uh, this is this is a very interesting uh, point in history for, for it. However, I'll warn everybody right up front. India is really very tiny as a, a portion of world uh, stock markets. We're like 1% of world stock market, market cap. Okay, We may be the fifth largest economy just in size, but our stock market market caps are really low in uh, comparison with the rest of the world. And the amount of uh, transactions that happen here today, for instance, uh, the whole stock market in India traded just about $8 billion, hmm. uh, not even eight, about $7 billion. So it's really small in that perspective. So it has to take time to build up into that size. So I think uh, you shouldn't, nobody should come in here thinking, you know, we're going to get in and this is going to become a big, huge 
position for us in the next one or two years. It'll still take its own time to go through this crisis. Uh, and because it's small, when the world catches a cold, India, I mean, world sneezes, India will catch a cold because we're so small in comparison. So we're going to go down a, you know, with the world as, as it kind of tries to find its way out. But I think when it comes back up, that's when uh, India should do uh, relatively better than uh, most of the other developing nations and perhaps some developed nations as well. That's well concluded from your end, and Deepak. So that, uh, that brings uh, us to the end of the public session. Now we are going to go into a very quick private discussion. This is going to be only for accredited investors and investment professionals, only on Quidroom to discuss uh, your, uh, your fund and how investors could specifically work with you. For those watching the live session across social media, if you are an accredited or institution investor you would, and you would like to join this discussion and follow up directly with Deepak in his investor community on Quitroom, use the link provided in the comments below to set up an account. It only takes three minutes, then you can join the live discussion. Either ways, there, there will be the recording of, of the session of the private discussion as well placed in Deepak's room if you missed anything. This was really good, uh, Deepak. Thanks for all the views that you had shared. Uh, that's it for now. You were, you were great to actually have a chat with. Now let's work towards making investments better one step at a time. For today, we say goodbye. <laughs> happy, happy to help and lovely to have been here. Thank you so much for having me over. And uh, to everyone listening, all the best. We're at capitalmind.in if uh, anyone's interested or come to Quid Room. I'm, I should be able to answer any questions that come in there as well. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Ask an Investor podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, then give us a subscribe. And if you're keen to chat with today's guest on this topic, access opportunities in the market, or just want to connect with other investors who are equally as interested in the sector, then join the guest community on Quidroom using the link in the description. Please note that Quidroom is only for high net worth investors and investment professionals. No retail investors are allowed. This podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only. Nothing in this episode should be interpreted as financial advice. Yeah.